We have Bill Kinney on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm the executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live high above the skyline of Kansas City today. Uh, I've actually left my undisclosed location in Columbia. Uh, just got a lot going on here in Kansas City. Uh, joined to us, uh, joined as always on the boards by our producer, Philip Frasica. Say hi, Philip. Hey, happy to be here. Really excited for today. We have a great guest. Yes, we do. Because enough about you, Philip. Let's get to our guest. <laughs> um, we have a, a guy who I've I've been I'm really like excited that he has agreed to do this. He, I don't know why he's agreed to do this, but we have the former just just recently outgoing PSC Commissioner Bill Kenny, who a lot of people will know uh, not just from the Public Service Commission, where he was on the Public Service Commission, I believe, from 2013 to this year. Is that right? Yeah, eight, uh, eight years and about three months. Eight years and three months, a very long tenure there. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, also had worked in uh, state government, primarily as chief of staff for Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder, also served in the Missouri State Senate, and also uh, has had a career prior to politics of being in the National Football League, namely with the Kansas City Chiefs. Commissioner Kinney, Honorable Kinney, I don't know what title to give you, but welcome. <laughs> you call me Bill. James, great to see you again. Uh, got to work uh, alongside you kind of uh, for a few years when you were with the uh, Office of Public Council. Yes. And, uh, it's uh, great to be with you. Yes, I remember. I, I think I think one of my, my fondest memories of you was when we were touring that uh, wind farm in Kansas. And uh, I guess I can tell this story now. You, you kind of <laughs> you, you couldn't climb up it because I think you had some 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 knee problems. But you, well, I was about ready to climb up a 420 foot tall wind turbine, and it was an Evergy uh, wind farm. And I think you whispered to me, said, "If if any, if you die here, I'm, I'll really let them have it on the next ray case." <laughs> <laughs> well, God, the biggest kick out of that. But that that was a, uh, you know, that's one of the the perks of being on the commission, getting to be at a wind farm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's an amazing experience because of the noise. Yeah, those turbines and just the, the areas they put them in the, and the velocity of the wind. Yeah, we were out there. I can't remember what the name of the area was, but it was out there in the middle of nowhere near Emporia. And you, if you, I, we, I climbed up it, you know, it was like, I think Commissioner Roop was there. Um, Amy Moore, who was uh, Dan Hall's advisor, was there. A bunch of folks from Evergy were there. We got in these like kind of harnesses, these electric harnesses, and they just basically gave you a 500 foot wedgie. <laughs> and you, well, didn't you have to go from one section to the next and just a, yes. a you know climb yes you and you couldn't go until everyone else had hit that area and so we get up to the top which is amazing because you can see everything you can see wichita you see kansas city and then coming back down and i don't think i i don't i won't say who it was it's somebody that you know and i know she got stuck like her um her harness got stuck and she couldn't move and we literally got we had to wait an hour and a half for her to be able to be uh, lowered down manually. And uh, I know I went home. You went home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were you were the smart one because you didn't go up it. <laughs> well, actually, to tell you the truth, nothing was wrong with my knees. I have a fear of heights. Oh, 
<laughs> see now, see, look, I've already gotten some some truth out of you. That's uh, yeah. I, but it was it was a it was a fun experience. And I gosh, when I was public counsel, I also got to see the nuclear power plant at um, at Fulton. Uh, got to see the Tom Sock Reservoir. Went underneath the Tom Sock Reservoir. You got to do a lot of cool stuff in that job. Yeah, it is. It was a it's a, it, a great learning experience, and it's a great um, position, especially in your area. You know, representing the public. Mm-hmm. It's a balancing act, um, but it's a it's a very rewarding job, I think. Yeah, and I mean, with a lot of responsibility. I mean, I, I certainly know as as public counsel, I felt like a lot of obligation because you were dealing with a lot of big projects and you're dealing with a lot of important issues and you're dealing with a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was every once in a while I looked around and thought, Oh my gosh, what am I doing here with this? I, I just, I just couldn't hardly believe that I got to um, work on that stuff, but it was great. Um, yeah. And so I kind of want to get into all of that. I want to get into everything just in a, your background, because I know that you're, you're now um, you're now no longer on the commission. Uh, well, I was I was retired. You were retired. I, retire. I was retired. You were retired. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what, what are, James? It went like this. I my term ended. Uh, yeah. Governor Nixon appointed me. Um, I think it was January eleventh, two thousand thirteen, for a six year term. Governor Parsons let me stay on. Yeah. And then I remember, forget, I got a call from Jeff Davis. Jefferson Davis was a former commissioner. Yeah. I knew Jeff when he was in the Senate and he was a, a lieutenant governor's, uh, Peter Kinder's chief of staff. And then he went to the PSC, left, and I ended up taking his position. But I get a call from Jeff, say, hey, um, you hear anything from the governor's office? I said, no. He goes, well, I hear you're going to be replaced. I said, oh, when? Tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes you're always the last one to know. (laughs) (laughs) But the the gentleman had to be confirmed by the Senate. Yeah. Got caught up, got caught up in a, in another issue of some dealing with someone else. So they just uh, delayed the confirmation of him for about four to six weeks. Uh, But eventually um, I moved on. Yeah. And yeah, you are, and you are in Kansas city now. Yeah, I live in the Lee Summit, Kansas City border. I've been, I'm actually in my old farmhouse that, there. here's a unique thing about me. I live in the same house, but it's in two different cities I've lived in it. Well, I got to hear this story. How did that work? We bought the farm in 87 and then about 120 acres, raised some cattle. Yeah. um, And then... uh, Development started coming in the area, new sewers, new water lines. So I developed that property. We, we had the house picked up and moved a mile south to another piece of property farm I had. Wow, that is. Yeah, uh, yeah so some people do stupid things. No, well, a, that's a lot of work. That's a, I mean, it was like, a lot of work for the company that did it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a new, I'm a new home contractor. I've been in new home construction since uh, 91. Yeah. And uh, done residential development and. The houses we build today, you couldn't do that. They'd fall apart. But yeah. the structural integrity of a house built like this one in the 40s was such that you could literally lift it up, put it on a, make a, a trailer and drive it away across the field, put it back on, put it on a foundation, slide it back on. And it was structurally intact. Might have some sheetrock wow. cracks and that's it. 
So it okay. So are you in? You're in Lee's Summit now. I'm in Kansas City right today. You're in Kansas City now. So that that oh, so as, I look, as, as I look to my right. Yes, I, I see Lee Summit right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when you moved a mile away, you moved into Kansas City proper. Uh, yes, I'm in the city of Kansas City. I moved a okay. mile south, almost directly south. Um, but there's just the, that's where the roads, the the, the the city limits kind of fluctuate, go back and forth. I see. And is it still farmland? Do you still have acreage there, or is this just a, a smaller? Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I've got um, behind me um, about 100 acres as part of a new subdivision that's uh -huh. partially in Lee Summit and partially in Kansas City. I see. Okay. Um, and that, okay. we could talk about that because I fight Evergy over <laughs> some of their development issues for their. They like to promote the use of a heat pump. Yes. Not, not a ground source heat pump, but a, a heat pump or heat, that's that I say is so uh, it, it's not it's not friendly environmentally because normally if you want to turn down the your your uh, air conditioner during the day when your children are at school and you have it ramped back up, you can't do that with a heat pump. Right. Because it doesn't produce enough energy, but they give rebates to developers, if you make your builders put in heat pumps that cost about an extra $1,500, they'll give you a $1,000 rebate. Yeah. And I told them, that's terrible. You shouldn't do that. And I don't take advantage of it. But uh, that's one of those things that you, you ought to be getting on Evergy about. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, that probably is something we should be talking to them about because I know that... Uh, I, for one, love their, I love their energy efficiency stuff they do. And, I want and they to do a great job. They've really yeah. done a great job. I do want to make sure people are using it and like it's working for people. So if it's not working for people, we need to fix that. You know, I think since I've been on the commission, I think Evergy of all our utilities has probably done, uh, been more uh, progressive towards energy efficiency than our other utility producers. Not that they haven't, others haven't done a good job, right. but Evergy has just, uh, I think, really taken a lead in it. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, again, it's one of those interesting things where, you know, we have the law, we have the Energy Efficiency Investment Act, which has really been a good opportunity, I think, for uh, the utility companies in the state to really take advantage of that, you know, kind of turns around their perverse incentives to, you know, you know, they always say like, well, we want to sell less power. <laughs> so no, you found out a good solution for that. Sure, but for for climate reasons, we encourage our utilities to sell less power, but make the same amount of money. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, I think, it, I think it's great. It can befuddle some ratepayers when you say, "Wait a second, I'm paying more for less power." <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Listen, I, I know. There's always people who say, "Like we used to be public council, and you all used to be against this stuff." <laughs> I'm like, "Why? Well, that was like five years ago. I don't know what to tell you." <laughs> I mean, I just, that, hey, look, I'm a lawyer. I just, I, I, I take the side of where I'm working, you know? So um, it is, and that's what's so, I think what's so interesting and so great about this stuff um, is that you can, there's just so much and it changes so frequently and so fast. That's, and that's, that's the interesting thing of how fast things go. And I look at myself and how I viewed things eight years ago versus how I view them today. Yeah. And then, but then again, just look at, look at our, technology in every different era area it i mean it's i mean I, it's night and day i think in some cases i mean especially when you look at the advanced metering 
uh, that that certainly Evergy has been on the forefront of. I, I think you know if you look at the utilities in Missouri, they've been able to do the, the deployment for smart uh, <laughs> smart meters uh, in, in a way that's it's uh, really shown the other utilities how to do it. Um, and I don't know if that would have been as prolific eight years ago as it is now, just because it just wasn't. It was so new. Well, we've dealt, we've dealt with. I can remember early things we dealt with in the commission. Um, you know, dealing with wind energy and uh, um, you know transmission lines and that are still going on today. The same cases, but yeah. <laughs> then again, I'm also infrastructure for electric charging uh, stations for vehicles and yeah. what our rules and what our statute said versus what it says today. Right. It's on a Supreme Court decision or or so a lot of things have changed of how they could be funded and what the ratepayers can or cannot pay for. Yeah, because uh, that's another thing that when I started five years ago, um, you know, we, you know, when you looked at the EV charging stations, there was certainly a way that the PSC or certainly the Public Service Commission staff, always important to remind our listeners that the Public Service Commission, uh, which uh, Bill Kenny, our guest, served on for eight years and three months, is a separate entity from the Public Service Commission staff which is a, a group of uh, professional regulators, uh, mainly in Jefferson City, but we have several in Kansas City and St. Louis. And they were kind of the ones that worked on, you know, kind of the more technical aspects of making sure the utilities were running the way they needed to run. Uh, they had a very distinctive view on uh, electric vehicle charging stations back in 2016 that, yeah, as you said, had to go to court and the court said that was incorrect. And so that's just, we had to do it differently. You know, what's interesting about what you just said that I don't think the general public could even understand. I didn't understand it. We'd have a rate case and I said, well, let me talk to staff and so I can get a better understanding of this. He goes, oh, you can't talk to staff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they're an intervener, they're part of the case. I said, yeah, but they're the experts. I mean, I want some information. Right. You can talk to these people over here, but yeah. you can't talk to the rest of the people because they don't, they're, they're in the case. And yeah. having not been an attorney, um, that's, it was a learning curve. Um, but even was, for attorneys, I think when they look at it, it's, it's not something that a lot of people ever, you don't casually dabble in PSC work. I mean, you, <laughs> you either do it for a living or you don't, you don't deal with it at all. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, I guess we were kind of, we'll, we'll kind of work a little backwards on this, I guess, you know, when you were on the commission, when you, when you were, when you kind of had that realization that you have this, this PSC staff, but they're like, you have this kind of Chinese wall between what the commission does and what the PSC staff does. I mean, did it, did that job, was that ever like, was things like that just frustrating to you? Well, I think I, I gotta, I, I'll never forget, um, the reason I got appointed is Steve Stoll, who was a commissioner, had been appointed. And, and as your viewers may or may not know, boards and commissions are political appointments. Right. And so just because a governor like Parsons might be a Republican, he can't just put all Republicans on a board. They have to be, you can usually, most boards and commissions, you can have one more of another party. So right. PSC is five commissioners. And I will say in my time in the PSC, it's not political at all. Never right. political. It's right. non-political group. But the appointees, um, like currently there are five former representatives on the commission. 
Right. Because Parsons governor, three of them served as Republicans, two of them served as Democrats. Mm -hmm. So Governor Nixon appointed me um, when, because he needed a Republican to go along with Steve Stoll so they would confirm both of both parties. Yeah. Um, but I'll never forget, I was uh, at a function with Governor Nixon. He said, you know, Bill, um, take a year and try to understand this process because it's very, very confusing. It's a, uh, it's a steep nosedive um, to try to understand the process. Um, I was a state legislator, state senator for eight years. So I understand the law. I understand how it works, but this is a, was a different ballgame. So trying to understand that with the nuance that the experts you can't talk to half the time. Right. It made it, made it very difficult to learn that process. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, because I mean, yeah, because they are there. I mean, because everyone, I think I, I remember, I think there's around 200 people on staff. And yeah, there are people, yeah, there are people who, they focus on gas, they, so they focus on electricity, but it's not just that they focus on different utilities, they, they focus on different aspects of each utility on top of that, because you deal with water, you deal with gas, you deal with uh, electricity, you even deal with mobile homes, manufactured homes. <laughs> I never figured that one out. <laughs> I've never got that one either. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's just the legislature said so, right? Like they said, the legislature said you got to well, yeah. do it. It's like Texas is the Railroad Commission. That's, that's part right. Of the Public Service Committee, the Railroad Commission. Right, right. Yeah. And so it's just whatever they say. Uh, so, yeah. So you have the people who have been doing that for a long time. They've been doing it for decades in some cases, these uh, PSC staff members. Same with, uh, you know, on, on public council, we had staff members who had been either working for staff or working uh, for the public council for several years. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really good, smart people working on that stuff. Um, but then, you know, ultimately, but. you just said, but no, Go but ahead. ultimately, they got to present their case to you. And it's not just public counsel and the PSC staff, it's interveners like Renew Missouri, it's interveners like the consumer groups, it's interveners like some of the unions that are worried about the pensions that are at issue. I mean, there's a lot of different I mean, there's a lot of different issues throwing. Yeah, you get the hospital association, school yeah. association, you got the business groups, consumer groups. The one thing I noticed about um, sometimes staff members mm -hmm. that they get so much involved. It's like any, any job you do. Mm -hmm. any, and you, you, you fail to see the other side of the issue because you get so entrenched in what you're doing. I right. remember Rachel Lewis who I hired as my advisor, and she was my yeah. advisor for a little over six years. She came out of uh, the water department. She was an attorney for PSC for about four years. My, I, she, I'd give her, she'd give me a breakdown on it. I said, okay, now what's the company's position? Why mm -hmm. does the company believe what they believe? Mm -hmm. And she kind of looked at me. I said, you need to learn what the company's reasons are. Yeah. So, because I'm a referee. As a public service commissioner, sure. referee, you're an attorney, you were a judge. Yeah. I don't look at myself. I never looked at myself. I look at myself as kind of a referee. Maybe it's because I played football. <laughs> but I'm going to make a decision. Here's the rate payer. What's best for the rate payer? Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes maybe paying a little higher rate might be a lot better for the rate payer if the company is a salt, makes the company a little more solid. So right. you kind of have to look at all those things. So I used to teach Rachel. Now, just explain to me, figure out why the company wants what they want. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, there's no reason at all. They just want it because they want to make more money, right? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, like, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know if like, people realize that you get you get to hire an advisor, but that's really the only staff you get as commissioner. Like, that's your staff. One person. Yeah. One person. We, have an, a, a, we, we split a secretary now. We used to have our oh. own administrative assistants, but I didn't, uh, I really didn't think there was that job entailed that much. Right. So we we got down. We we split an administrative assistant now, and we have an advisor. Usually, as an attorney, not always. Usually. It doesn't have to be. No. Uh, and you also like I think there's like kind of a, a, a general counsel office for the Public Service Commission. They kind of like do they they but I guess maybe I don't understand this. I know they do a lot of work at the federal level. They kind of get involved with things with FERC and that thing, but do they advise you on, do they advise the commission? They advise the commission. They, on the commission they bring, they, like our general counsel, who the commission hires, Yeah, hires our, that, that position. And we hired the director when I was there. We So right. that individual will bring issues to us. That, okay, we, here's what we have, this federal issue we have to decide on. Or here's an issue before the Supreme Court. We think if we take this position, here's what we should do. What do you want us to do? We think this is what we should do. And usually we go along with the general counsel and their staff as to what we're going to do. But we make those decisions as a commission. The the five commissioners decide if we're going to appeal a case. The five commissioners decide if we're going to pay someone to um, defend us. It's, it's, It's a process like that, but we depend on their judgment, yes. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned there are five of you, and you all have, in theory, six terms. But there's no real term limit on that. I mean, people could be reappointed. Correct. Or, very so. I don't. Very seldom that anybody's ever been reappointed. I don't know if anybody. I. I. I don't think anyone I've talked to their memory they can recall. Hey, let me. Let me give you an interesting statistic. Okay. In 2013. Yeah, I, I was Missouri's 100th public service commissioner in the 100th anniversary of the public service commission. That's right. Uh-huh. So wow. and if you have you get appointed every six years, so it's kind of interesting. But uh, um, yeah, there's not there haven't been many public service commissioners. And right. I don't think most fulfill their eight their six year term and very few go over it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I mean, there's not a lot of instances where I can think of where somebody have, have like, since I've been working in it, that left early, but I know they have. I know people do do that. Sure. Um, and you mentioned since earlier. I there, uh, since I was there, I think Robert Kenny left a little yeah. early. Kevin Gunn left early. Did he? Uh, Terry Jarrett went to the end. Steve Stoll went to the, until he was replaced. Most mm-hmm. of them go until they're replaced. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, yeah, Robert Kenny went to real work for Pacific Gas and Electric out there in California. They've had their own. My, my little brother. He said that at an agenda. I actually, I, I was reading a transcript of it and I literally laughed out loud. I will. You're not the only one when I've used that at national committees, <laughs> conventions. Everyone can Google that. Google Bill Kenny and Robert Kenny. You can see why we think that's funny. Uh, you mentioned that. Like usually, like the, the the governor in power, the party in power of the governor's mansion will, uh, you know, kind of majority on the PSC three versus two, but that's not required. No, but if you look at that, but that happens every term a, a governor leaves. Right. The majority of commissions and boards and commissions will be his party's dominance. Yeah. Just because 
that's the way it's politics is done, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, somebody could change that, but I don't think that's ever been a threat that anyone has like said, like, well, I do know that under the tax commission, uh, mm -hmm. under governor Nixon, it was a two, three Republican commission for his entire term. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't think I knew or that. For most of his term. Okay. Um, yeah, that's another, like, that's what they do is so removed from anything I've ever done. I don't, I know Gary Romine is on there who I liked a lot when he was in the state Senate. And that's about all I know about the state tax commission. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, but the PSC, I think what's wonderful about the PSC, um, and I think everybody I've ever talked to about it is it's so non-political mm -hmm. and non-partisan. It's the same with the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. Yeah. Every every state has representation there, uh, and the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, some others. Right. And it's just it's such a great teaching experience um, and learning experience that we get to be a part of. Um, and that's the great thing about government that is not partisan. We, in today's society, it seems like everything's partisan. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and, and certainly, I know when you talk about neighbor, that's kind of a national association of, of regulators. Mm -hmm. There are some states, and I don't know if all of our listeners will know this, but there are some states where they elect uh, their public service commission. Or their yeah, interesting. Commission. Oklahoma, North Dakota, yeah. South Dakota. Arizona. Arizona. Um, it, there's also a couple states like South Carolina where the legislature elects their yeah. representatives. And there's other states that they'll elect certain ones to be, go up to the public and be voted. Yeah. Do you notice, I mean, have you, did you notice or did you ever get a sense from some of those other folks in the way they did it differently if they ran their commissions differently? Did you feel like they looked at things differently than you did? Did you get a sense that the election? No, no I never did. But I became, because what's interesting is that within the framework of NARUC, there's five subgroups. And I was Mark, which is Mid-America Regional Commission. Right. We had 14 states, probably the largest. Uh -huh. um, and then the, the National Association leaderships comes from the five subgroups. We nominate, like we elect in, in Mark, I voted for three of the, 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 pre, the future presidents Mm -hmm. um, that we, we, because Mark gets, because we have an extra more states, we got our five rotational picks and then we get an extra one thrown in every five years. So, but I've noticed North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, um, Arizona, um, but Arizona wasn't a part of, but North, those three states yeah. were completely similar to us. Okay. Um, and I didn't see much of a change at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize the Dakotas were. I know I fit, always felt like kind of a southern phenomenon to me about electing commissioners. But I guess if it's up there, then that's not that shoots that theory. <laughs> yeah, North Dakota, I, South Dakota, both elected because you know. And then in Oklahoma, we've got uh, a guy that's been there for like we call him Grandpa. He's been there about been elected for thirty some odd years. <laughs> Bob Anthony. Wow. Oh my gosh! Imagine what he has seen change yeah in, in the commission there that's uh that's wild yeah you know people wanted to have that job that long <laughs> oh, we had a friend who was on a commission from one state i won't mention and then she got elected to um be president of a of the um what was a group in texas what are they called um 
Yeah, and she got fired her first month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, well, I mean, she had nothing to do with it. But yeah. When had the blackouts. She got, she went down. Oh, you know, that's funny. Yeah, because I think we had Kevin Gunn on here to talk about that. And I think he mentioned that, that she had just gotten that job and really had no part of the planning of it. None. And then, None. But, but as you know, in politics, sometimes uh, if you're, if you're there at that table. I, I, I've talked to so many people who felt <laughs> terrible for her. It's just a wonderful woman, did a great job, smart, took, got a, got a great job and is fired because of nothing she did wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because there's just sometimes there's just things out of your control. I, I I know that like when I started at the at the public council, I was at the tail end of this. But like the Naranda Amron debate. Oh, yeah, just the yeah. Yeah, I mean, like and that all kind of stem. I mean, that all kind of stem from things that were sort that are outside of the public service commission's like real ability to do anything. There was a the, that company had been you know kind of dealt with by venture capitalists. There had been a big ice storm that caused. A lot of damage to this aluminum smelting plant in southeast Missouri, which they had were, utility bills of about 180 to 200 million dollars a year. Yeah, so they would go to the they were wanting special kind of preferred rate treatment, which Ameren took issue with because Ameren provided their electricity. That was in front of the Public Service Commission. The Naranda Company went to the legislature, and you know we talk about like, I mean, you know, it's not really a partisan issue or a political issue. But it certainly was, I think, from all indications people tell me that th that made the Public Service Commission certain elements of it more contentious. That yeah, I mean, I think anytime when I first got there, um, I can remember um, a commissioner who went to the, told the legislature, went over to the legislature and tried to get involved with a few things. And I put in there with three former, two other former senators, and we we're like, you, you don't go over and tell them what you think they should do. <laughs> That's a no-no. They don't like that. And we got letters of reprimand. You know, it's like, we told you. <laughs> you don't go over and tell a, a, a senator or what they should do. Yeah. What you think they should do because it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of, they kind of give you a look like, uh... ah. <laughs> yeah, no, the letters that went back and forth because of a certain commissioner who tried to get involved and help them solve the problem. But it was solving a problem that that commissioner thought. And there were a couple of others as commissioners who didn't think that way. Right. So rather right. than the commission, my, my, my thought process is that, hey, you're a commissioner, you can do what you want. Mm. But if, if you're going to represent the commission, all five commissioners have to be on board. Yeah. Otherwise, and it's Bill Kenny's gonna go over and represent himself not as just, you know, I'm a commissioner, but this has nothing to do with the commission. Because if, if you don't do that, that's when the sparks start to fly and it becomes political. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, and I think I certainly think the PSC has done a good job of remaining neutral in a lot of that. Because I mean, I certainly know that um, that, that is a, that's a sticky issue. Uh, because I mean, you look at the PSC and the PSC is guided by what the legislature says, but then there's, a, there's autonomy and independence there even though it's a creature of the legislature, technically, as a regulated body. Um, but still, you have to act separately from that because they're the ones kind of saying, well, this is what we want the laws are. Then you look at the laws and say, well, this is how we're going to set our regulations and all these other things. So it's going to kind of be separate. Yeah, you know, and I know, and I, it's, you know, Grain Belt Express is still going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it actually, <laughs> to give you a little history on that, 
Yeah. Um, uh, Commissioner Roop, who's now in his seventh year. Yeah. Commissioner Roop was a, a rookie commissioner when we first had the first hearings on Greenbelt Express. Right. And in a nonpartisan vote there, because at that time there were three um, Democrat appointees and two Republicans. Right. And the three, two vote, I, three of us that were former senators voted against allowing Greenbelt to proceed. Right. And our reasoning was because it didn't do anything from a Missouri residence, Missouri tax ratepayers, because they there was no proposal to do anything from Missouri ratepayers. Two years later, Greenbelt changed their whole program. Oh. They made it extremely beneficial to Missouri ratepayers. Yeah. And at that point, the three of us and the uh, the new it passed five to nothing. Right. Because and. And you see today, I'm bringing it up because you have um, a lot of um, legislators um, trying to still kill it, kill the deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, because have, it, been, have been doing it since you all passed it in 2019. I, I know. Because, yeah. But I mean, if you look at us as, as, a, as a commission, we defeated it the first time. And then when we realized it was going to benefit Missouri's and they changed it, that's our, our goal is to benefit what's best for the ratepayers. Right. But as you know, transmission lines is, you know, the NIMBY, not in my backyard. You know, it's, it's, no one wants it in their backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I always, I always talk about it a little bit like my family, I, I, I was born and raised on a family farm. Family still has the farm back in 2014, a cooperative, which I know you guys don't regulate and we don't regulate that at the state level. We, the way we do investor utilities, wanted to build a transmission line over three parcels in my parents' farm. And my dad just was dead set against it. Yeah. But, you know, they they took it to court. They got a certain amount of money and they had to do it. I mean, it was one of those things. And it's what's so weird to me is you have this private company. Like all the companies that go before the Public Service Commission are privately owned. Sure. You kind of empower them to, to provide a public good on the commission. And they did it. And, and everyone's like, well, this is a private company and they're not like a regular utility. It's like, but they, 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 they fit that definition. And no one got upset when like a co-op built a <laughs> transmission line over our property. I know, but James, aren't co-ops exempted from their, their definitions of trying to prevent this private company? They don't, they don't even go after co-ops. They allow co-ops with the current, like, the current, um, um, Legislation yeah. they eliminate they let co-ops go ahead and do it. They just can't be a private company, but not a, but not a private company. McAmory can still do it, but yeah, trying to just say we don't want Greenbelt to do it. We just don't want this one company. We don't want this one project. That's the problem. Like that's the problem as I see with the legis legislators. Yeah, support that thing and and push it. I'm not as I understand. I don't want it in my backyard, but still, yeah, it's just what that's what happens in society. But people who live in Kansas City and St. Louis, where it's harder to harness wind power, they need electricity. Wind has to come from places where a lot of people don't live. And right. so for it to get to where people do live, you got to go over some places that maybe people don't want the transmission. It's, it's, it's the coming trend, right? It, yeah, it, it's only going to get, it, it's only, this is only going to become more and more common to see these fights. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, that was the one thing I always said in, in testimony before the, the House or the Senate was, you know, this company followed the law, followed the rules, went before the Public Service Commission multiple times. Yeah. 
then went to the Supreme Court when it got appealed. The Supreme Court said, uh, you know, this is what needs to be done. It got done. And it just sends a bad message to me. And, and this seems like it would be something a, a conservative lawmaker could appreciate is in a regulatory state, you follow the rules. You should expect that if you follow them and do what you're supposed to do, that won't be changed on you. There will be some certainty to that. I, I would agree with you as, as a conservative a legislator. That, yeah. that, that That's what makes sense. That's why I voted against it when it didn't benefit our state. I voted for it when it benefited our state. Yeah. And and I agree with you. It's just the fact, just to keep fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. I actually saw on the, saw on the news just recently, I think it might have been today, where they're wanting the governor to call up for a special session, including us. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't, but didn't like, I, I want to talk about your time in the legislature. You, every time like someone would get something that they wanted and it didn't get passed, didn't they say, well, we should have a special session for this? <laughs> Back when they should what now? Well, would they say if like they were pushing for a piece of legislation during the regular session uh, and it never, didn't happen? Well, never. I ran, I was, I got elected in 94 mm. for eight years. I was the first term limited class. And right. So, and then I was in the minority for six years and then we became the majority party in nine, in 2001 special election yeah. and I became the floor leader. And mm. back then you never, the only special sessions you had were, were dire emergencies it had well, nothing I, to do with legislation yeah because i mean you i mean and as I, I really do want to talk about your time in the senate and you i mean you were there for i guess close to eight, nine eight years, eight, eight years i mean back then i remember my my first job out of college was i worked for joe maxwell's lieutenant governor's race and it was seven, i did oh, okay it was 1717 back then yeah that well, was yeah well here's what happened yeah. Just so you, just because Joe became the, the lieutenant governor when we, we were, we, it's actually, it, what happened was a several Lacey Clay, um, Sam Graves got elected to Congress. Mm -hmm. and it was, so it was actually 1616. And we oh. had a special election to come up that was going to be in towards the end of January. And it was just assumed that Republicans and Democrats would each win one of those. Right. Because of the Maxwell's old seat. Yes. Democrat held. So we elected co-floor leaders and co-pro tems. So wow. Ronnie DePasco, who had been the, the floor leader for me, yeah. and I became floor leaders. And then Ed Quick and Peter Kinder became pro tems. Right. And so Ronnie and I would just go okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> and he goes, you want to <laughs> And we knowing that eventually we figured it'd be that way for the entire year. Yeah. But then John Cawthorn won. John Cawthorn, the majority maker. He changed everything yeah. when he went for, a, for he beat a, a, at that time it would be a future commissioner, now a former commissioner. Robert Clayton. Robert Clayton. He beat Who I worked for. And I mean, I just knew when, when Charlton Heston showed up in Northeast Missouri, <laughs> came for a state senate seat i thought well if moses has shown up to <laughs> we are probably in trouble <laughs> on this race that's hilarious and we were we were yeah, we, we, we lost turnout, just a farmer yes. people republicans were very we were very energized yeah you know what's interesting though we have super majorities in the republican party but 
we had super majorities for so many years in the Democrat Party. When yeah. Republicans took that race, I was the first Republican floor leader in 53 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And yeah. what happened is you just had a bunch of really Missouri's a con fairly conservative state. Yeah. It's, it leans more conservative, moderate, moderate, moderate conservative than moderate. You know, that's just how it is. I don't know what yeah. the ratios are, but that's why Jay Nixon, just as recently as what? As 12. Yeah. How many years ago? He'd been elected for 24 years, 16 years of attorney general, eight yeah. years of governor. was just a mid medium, middle of the road guy. And yeah. that's how the Senate was when I got in there. It was eight, I was, it was 1915 Democrat. But what happened was it just term limits came. Yeah. And they were all gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it did. And I, I mean, it's, it's sad to me because I think there was a lot of really good talent and experience that got wiped, that wiped away with it. Now, look, I mean, I know voters, a ton of it. That's a, yeah. Those are the guys I learned from. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was, I mean, you know, and I mean, I understand like, look, voters in 92 voted for term limits. I, I certainly understand the appeal. I understand the argument. I just don't think practically, realistically, it worked the way people hoped it would. No, I think if you had term limits on, um, I'm glad for myself. So I got out. Really? Oh yeah, because otherwise I would have stayed and been pro tem, and then, you know, I didn't want. But I'm glad because the power can, you know, I, I ran things. I wasn't yeah, doing you liked it. You liked being a senator. That's a I'm great man. place to work. Governor, right? Governor Holden calling me once a once a month and coming to Lee Summit to court me for stuff during the for the <laughs> next year. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Getting invited over to the governor's office for a dinner or something. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm happy to me, but I think it hurts the public because you lose all that legislative knowledge. And now you have just, you have those that are just trying to go from one place to the next place to the next place. And it's only eight years and there's just not that cohesion um, yeah. that I felt even when I was in a minority, even I felt, yeah. um, you know, I had opportunities. I feel when people get really in the groove, they're gone. Uh, yeah, I look at people like I worked with a lot, uh, Gary Romine, Doug Leibla, people mm -hmm. like that. Um, they, I love working with them, but now they're gone because they didn't have any choice. Yeah. Uh, and and that at, was- Look at myself. I, I go from, an air, from something doing nothing to running, to running the Senate. And then how much more can I do for my community? Then I'm gone and then the rookie comes in. And right. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, huh. yeah. I mean, and I know there are some people who are in the state Senate who go back to being, oh, they don't go back to being, but they run for state rep. They go backwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that seems the like that would, chamber. <laughs> that would have to be tough because, I mean, when you're in the Senate, you're one of 34 and you are able to exert a lot of individual influence, it seems like, in the Senate. But, I, and I think it might have been Scott Roop on this podcast. It might have been him. I might be attributing, oh, or it could have been Jason Holzman who said, being in the House is like riding a bus. You know, and you kind of <laughs> you kind of just go where the bus driver takes you. <laughs> and I was like, I thought that was a really good analogy because it is the leadership in the house that really drive that. Right. I mean, you know, obviously the leadership. I mean, I think about the, when 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 Peter Kenner was, uh, you know, the pro. No, wait. What what was his position before what he was? was it now? Peter Kinder. Oh, Peter Kinder started out. He was uh, pro tem. And was pro tem for four years. Yeah. And then um, a couple years later, he ran for lieutenant governor, lieutenant governor for 12 years. 
Right. Yeah. So, so like you were, I mean, that was, I mean, that's he a was lot. Tim and I was the floor leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of power and authority to the leadership oh. there, but it just seems like in the house, there's just so many people in the house. You can't really distinguish yourself there. It's like Congress who runs Congress. You've got a few people at the head. Yeah. Just and the leadership just falls in line. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, it feels like the Senate is so much more like consequential. Yeah, it's more, yeah, it's, it's more of a deliberate body. Um, yeah. And, I, I, you know, when I was a young senator, I never forget one time I offered an amendment in about my third or fourth year. And Harold Caskey, who'd been there for 20 some odd years, and yeah. John Schneider, who'd been there for 20 some odd years, yeah. started to debate my amendment. And without criticizing me, they were talking about the history of what my amendment and why it wasn't a good amendment. <laughs> And they went back and forth and didn't even say anything to me. And they finished talking. And I said, Mr. President, send my amendment back. <laughs> they gave me a history lesson of what I was doing, even though they could understand why I wanted to do it. It wasn't the right thing because the other side, here's why you didn't want to do it. Yeah. But yeah. that's not there anymore. Right. And I mean, I think there's like a lot of really smart people in the, in the Senate. I think there's a lot of staffers are there, but it's in the house too. Uh, but I mean, but I, I feel like right now when you work when you work in the Capitol, it, everyone just says like, deal with the Senate, deal with the Senate. Don't even worry about the House. I hear that all the time, yeah. and I feel like I feel like I'm missing some opportunity. But it is in the Senate. It, one or two of those uh, lawmakers can just kill something. Oh, we see it right now with special session and uh, yeah, Medicaid drugs. Right, which I mean, seems to me like one of those things that if you're talking about like you had to have special sessions, you know, in a unique circumstance, we would not be dealing with this like we're dealing with it now. No, if, if the public wanted to do something. Now, I can remember um, what's interesting how the Senate used to be. I remember when, um, when we passed 0.08 legislation. It was in my oh. second or third or fourth year, but the only reason we passed it, because it finally came to the last year, because the federal government... When the federal government passed legislation, the only power the federal government has over a state is withholding funds. So we yeah. pay our highway taxes, and then they give it back to us. Well, we reached the point that if we didn't pass it that this year, then we're going to lose out mm. on you know a billion or several hundred million dollars. Quite a stack. <laughs> but those old those guys those old timers did not want to pass that thing for oh anything. i i will i will tell you I, another boss i had that you may or may not know uh when i was a lawyer in springfield craig hosmer oh yeah lo was very desperate to pass the, the point oh eight uh well, he, yeah he became a speaker that was jim Kreider. Oh, Jim Crowder. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, because Jim was against that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew that. He okay. hated that. He hated I was thinking it. of Crowder. My fault. Yeah, and he and I worked. I I worked for him too. I oh my gosh, so I'm showing off all my partisan stripes here. Am I not? <laughs> but but Craig love. I mean, Craig was very adamant about the the blood alcohol content legislation. I think he had that hanging up on his wall in his office, um, because but that was a big deal because a lot of people fought that. They oh, fought the rural, all the rural senators. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, the Democrats controlled the Senate and they, they right. stopped that thing for you. It was just a principle deal for them. You don't tell us what to do. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that is, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, you think about like the, you talk about like Missouri kind of leaning more towards 
you know, conservative voters. I think that's absolutely true. And for whatever reason, around 2000, 2001, it seemed like this idea that you could be a conservative Democrat started losing. Like, I think people looked at national uh, politics. They started looking at what was being portrayed in the media and they just right said, around term limits, right around term limits and right around term limits. Yeah. And I would also argue, my argument is, the only person who really kept the Democrats together was Mel Carnahan. Yeah. He was. <laughs> I, I felt like he was the only oh, one. Who a good really, politician. Yeah, he was the only one who could really keep the city politicians and the rural politicians together. And when he died, no one could do that as well as he could. Yeah. That's another story, right? You had to do a podcast on how a dead man could be the oh. Senate seat. I could do I could do a six parter on the year 2000 and 2001 alone, <laughs> I think, uh, because, yeah, because I mean, I remember like, yeah, in 2001, when Robert Clayton lost that Senate seat, I remember thinking like, man, I feel like maybe something big just happened here. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, Claire McCaskill went on, was was a you know successful senator for a number of years. And then we mentioned, uh, you know, Chris Coster. I think, yeah. Who didn't think Chris Coster would be our Democrat governor? When Greitens won. I mean, there's a, there's a reason I moved to Jefferson City in 2015. It wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm going to get to work for Jay Nixon for two years. I thought I was going to get to work for Chris Coster, who I thought would probably be the last Democratic governor to ever get elected. Well, I thought everybody thought he'd be the, <laughs> be yeah. the governor. And no I one thought. I've been Chris for years. And yeah, it was just, uh, I had one person who told me eight weeks out, and he's a girl of Republican politics. Uh -huh. that, that Costa would lose, and he was up 11 at the time. And I mean, I just kept seeing like every day right before the election, it just kept ticking down, ticking every down. Week, two down. points. Every week, two points. Yeah, and then, you know, and then you just started seeing Trump go up because there were so many undecided Republicans. But ultimately, I think the thing about Republican voters is they always kind of come back home. Yeah. They always like, they might be on the fence about somebody, but they're like, well, I'm going to go vote for them. Uh, and I think that ultimately... I think that the Farm Bureau um, uh, endorsement and the NRA endorsement, which I thought was going to, man, I, I can't think of a single person, I, even from Southwest Missouri, that wasn't going to vote for Chris Cosser. I know. Hey, I agree with you. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, it's been like the last... Hey, hey I'll say it publicly. I voted for Coster. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I thought like, you know, because he was a, con I mean, because he was conservative. Chris, uh, for, was, Chris was Chris. But, yeah. but my vote was mainly, I didn't want Brighton's. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not, you're not going to be joining, but, but, um, you're not going to be joining. But I, knew, but I knew Costa would be a good governor. Yeah. You're not going to be joining the Greitens for Senate uh, <laughs> bandwagon or anything. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I mean, like, I mean, what do you think about like politics moving forward? Do you think like, do you think it's just, I mean, do you think, do you look at all of this and think it looks pretty absurd just generally? I mean, it you seems know, different than I, I when think, you started. I think things will settle down. I mean, you, you got yeah. a national election where, um, you know, Biden presidency is, I think, probably more of a, you know, a not Trump presidency. Although right. Trump got more, I mean, there's more votes cast in this election than whatever. Amazing um, amount of votes. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that Trump still has the appeal to some groups that he does. I would think, I'm, I'm surprised about that. He does have a real oversized personality that he is able to sell well. Well, yeah, I but I mean, he was his own. I mean, he lost an election because of himself. I mean, he from the start. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and, and the and pandemic. I mean, I think there's yeah. Issues. But hey, it is what it is. But you and I both know people are so fickle. Uh, something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Inflation continues to go where it's going. Yeah. We get some trip. There's a war somewhere. Afghanistan keeps going like it's going. Mm-hmm. It can change quick. It, it is so hard. I mean, so many people sm- make so much money trying to predict this stuff. And it's so hard to predict. You remember George H.W. Bush? After yeah. the Kuwait War, his approval rating was 90%. Insane number. And he loses to Bill Clinton a year and a half later. He loses. Yeah. How does that happen? Ross Perot. And- it, Ross Perot was a big part of that, certainly. Yeah, yeah but you know what I mean? Is that um, <laughs> we, can, we can get upset with our leaders. Yeah, and people and people just and they do and they do like forget why they liked them to begin with. They forget the reason they voted for them in the first place, and then they just change. They they change the way they look at it. And I I you know I'm very glad I'm doing what I'm doing now in the not for profit world, not in politics, uh, <laughs> because it's just too hard to it's too hard to say like how that how people are. Well, it's obvious if you look at your, um, what I know about your background and being a judge, working in the Office of Public Counsel, uh, what you mentioned about your different uh, cause, you're out there, you go out fight for causes in Renew Missouri. Um, that's what I, impresses me about you, James, is that you are someone who puts your heart into something and you believe in it, you're going to go fight for it. Yeah. That's good, that, that's, that's good for the people you represent and who you work for. It makes it tough in Jeff City, though, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I know, but... <laughs> You're dealing with, you're dealing with uh, a bunch of uh, person- personas and a bunch of, uh, um, you know, people who think they're a little more important than they are. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah, it's, it's it, it, it is it is it is its own place. It just kind of feels like you know, like every you know, as a lawyer, I had to like I kind of like I had this expectation of how the courtroom would work. But then, you know, in Jefferson City, there's just a different expectation. You just know there are a lot of personalities and characters that you have to deal with and you have to know how to navigate them. And they're all looking for their next position. And you got to yeah. weigh that too. I mean, it's like, I don't want to make this enemy for the next 10 years. When well, I yeah. <laughs> you never know when they're going to show back up. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, sometimes they think like, well, we got rid of that person. But then they're, they're back. That's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, it is. I mean, I, it is. It, it is. It is. It is. I mean, it's, I love. I, I. I mean, it's hard, but I love working in the town. I love doing the work we've done. I think working in energy policy, working in utility rate making, is fascinating. Yeah, fascinated by it. Um, and I think you have. I mean, if if you've done it in any capacity, you have to think like, man, this is really. This has a lot of impact. I know. I was talking to one lawyer who said. Uh, there's more money that goes to utility policy than tax policy. And I think that must be right. Everyone pays a utility bill. And and look at the, <laughs> I mean, look at some of the, our major utilities and you look at their rate base mm-hmm. and you look at the multiple, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars and billions that are in rate base and everybody, and everybody pays a percentage of that. It is, it is, it's, I get kind of, you have to almost forget about the money sometimes because it's so astronomical. I mean, you're talking uh, Jeff Bezos type money. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, it is. I mean, like I, yeah, a couple billion here, a couple billion there. You're talking about a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you're talking, I mean, when you sit down and a commission makes a, a rate case decision, we're doing the return on equity, on equity and yeah, and you know, you realize that that little one tenth of a point might be a um, hundred plus. You know, I mean, like a ten million, twenty million, yeah. thirty million. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's yeah. And, and sometimes it's just you know, you're just. And it just has to, it, to me, it has to be theoretical because I can't really picture it. I just can't fathom it. Um, so, oh my gosh, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do this all day. Uh, but I, I guess but now that you're, huh? But we have things to do. We, <laughs> I got to go pick up my kid <laughs> in Columbia. Uh, <laughs> so now that you are, you have been retired, I think is from the PSC. What, what is it? Are you doing anything now that you want to plug? Any no, I mean, I, I am a residential subdivision uh, developer. I've got my third subdivision, Summit View Farms. We're okay. doing our third phase. We're uh, in Southwest uh, Lee Summit. I do build some houses, not many, run the real estate company. My wife does most of our sales and, okay. um, and I'm a, a grandfather for the second time. So, which is fun. Oh. I'm actually going to Columbia tomorrow. Really? Uh, yeah. My daughter, Kristen, she's an attorney for Google out in the Bay area. And she flew out and brought her for Boston Terrier because she arranged to have an opera, uh, uh, a operation at the, the vet clinic. Columbia University, yeah, an area hospital, um, going to do exploratory surgery on her nasals passage because their fee is about a third of what it costs in the Bay Area. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, you have a so I've got my grand dog, so I'll be down in Columbia tomorrow. <laughs> well, it makes me it makes me think like when I take my dog to the MU vet. I'm <laughs> Man, I got, I got, to, I'm, they're competing with Google, uh, Google people for that stuff. Huh? I mean, think about it, so, yeah, I guess when she works with Google, she can afford to fly. Her yeah. <laughs> What's she do? She's a lawyer for Google, you said? Yeah, she, um, Kristen, uh, Kristen's my oldest. She's 40. I've got four children. Uh, Billy's an attorney. He's 38. Carlton's an engineer. 32. Liz is, uh, does medical um, records. She's a licensed nurse, but she's never practiced. She just does medical uh, records work for a company and uh, rights programs and stuff. And wow. what's interesting is Kristen went to law school after my son, Billy went to, uh, Billy went to Mizzou law school. Kristen went to UMKC, uh, but Kristen, interesting about her, uh, Missouri gives their one award to a student a year in all their universities. I mean, every university, every, and it's called the student entrepreneur of the year. And my daughter, Kristen, won it while she was going to law school. She also went to the Block School of Business and wrote a beta program for a new startup business. And, and then oh. Google Fiber was coming to Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah. So they had a Google International Gigabit Challenge. Well, And the long story, she came in second to a guy from Germany for these for a half million dollars in starter funds. Holy cow. But, so anyway, so she got hired by Pulsonary. She went to, to HCA and then she... Um, decided she wanted to move to the Bay Area where I'm from. Yeah. A lot of family and she wanted to get a job there. So she applied and uh, Google hired her. So. Wow. Yeah. You must be very proud of those kids. Oh yeah. I, I'm fortunate. You know, my dad, my dad was a um, superintendent of pool, schools, public uh, college, Santa Ana, Santa Ana, California, third largest district in the, in the state. He was also a Naval captain, uh, retired Naval captain. 
He has PhD. He got his master's from Berkeley and he got his uh, doctorate from Stanford. And he told me, he goes, hey, Bill, just remember, intelligence skips a generation. I, don't, I, was, I, I was just a dumb football player. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't even get into that. I wanted to like talk hey, about also, that too. My dad also played for the San Francisco 49ers as an offensive guard. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. So you were a pro football player and your dad was a pro football yeah, player. Yeah, years before. Because like one of the questions. My dad that we- had, I, I remember looking at his leather helmet. He wore oh, a leather God. helmet. Yeah. Wow. And, and mouthpiece. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. Because <laughs> yeah. I it was, he sacked, like, sacked Sammy Ball six times in one game. What's that? He sacked Sammy Ball six times in one game. Wow. If you don't know who Sammy Ball is, you got to Google it. I'll Google it. I don't know much about sports. And that was one of the things Sammy I like. Sammy Ball was a great, great quarterback in the, you know, 40s, 50s. Wow. Philip, did you know, do you know that name? You know more about sports than I do. Um, I don't. Sammy I mean, I know. Ball. Newer football. I mean, oh, you got to look up Sammy Bell. More recent. Well, you're no help. Okay. <laughs> I am not. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, okay. So you're doing, you're still working real estate. You're enjoying your family. Uh, I I guess, my grandkids and listening to my guinea pigs here in front of me, my wife bought for our granddaughter, who's a little, almost three and a half. She's three and a three years, three months. Like, I'm you're, like you're not watching how the congressional maps are being drawn, are you? <laughs> Give me some news. <laughs> I did. I did read a story about that today. Okay. Oh, you did. Okay. All right. Stay tuned. <laughs> oh my gosh, this has been great, Bill Kenny, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your thank time. Thank you, James. And and, and uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, this has been Renew Gurus. Uh, if you like what you heard, subscribe to us on all major uh, podcast platforms. Write a review. Share it on your social media pages. I think you'll, I think everyone will get a kick out of this one. I want to thank our guest, Bill Kenny, and we will see you all next time.